Welcome to Dragon Babies. Welcome. I'm Grace. And I'm Madeline. And we're back after a holiday break, during which I really missed all the fantasy that had, you know, come back into my life after so many years. I mean, we've only been doing this for a few months, and it's already just a normal and accepted part of the weekend for me to be reading a new children's fantasy book. (laughs) (laughs) And Grace brought the recording material. um, I did with us to one parent's house yeah, at to least one parent's home but we we just we couldn't find time with all the celebrating but we're here today we're refreshed um i have been up since 3 a.m today so <laughs> maybe not that refreshed but <laughs> we'll see theory. how it goes i mean i think you can always tell when we're recording at night versus in the morning yes and i just woke up from a nap because <laughs> i'm still on my uh law school winter break although yeah, that will end soon except nap i slaved away all day but i'll be back in school that's soon beside the point okay so this book is a little bit of a departure from the kind of books we've been doing this is a book that some people might classify as a children's book rather than a young adult book but rereading it, I think that it is appropriate for us to cover in the podcast. And I was stunned by yeah, just absolutely. how formative it was for me. So without further ado, it's Ella Enchanted by Gail Carson Levine. came out in 1997, which is when I was 10 and you were 7. And it came into my life shortly after that. Um, so it has been a part of my existence for longer than... I remember this book from way back. Yeah, yeah. longer than many things. Mm-hmm. Um, And before we get to a summary, I want to try something new, which is just doing a quick performance of the back of the book description. New segment. New segment. Because we talk about the cover of each of our books editions, but obviously podcasting is not a visual medium, although we do post all the covers on our Twitter at Dragon Babies Pod. I think it would just make a little bit more sense if we did read the back of the book, and this gives us an opportunity to see a little bit about how this book and other books were marketed at the time that they came out, Mm -hmm. um, which is sometimes really at odds with the book's actual content. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Okay. So at the back of the book, our book, I I will just describe the cover, has... I'll do that thing that I said that I said is Um, not good to do. Let's go ahead and do that. (laughs) So there's a picture of a... You know, girl in her like early teens. I mean, she's she looks young. She's pretty young, and she has on a dark green dress with gold trim that I always thought of as the green dress that she chose to wear to her mother's funeral. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and it has a square neck, and mm-hmm. that's what the gold trim. Um, and it's it's very pretty. She's standing in front of a painted backdrop of a fairy tale world, but the curtains being lifted away to show a real castle behind her. So <laughs> that kind of plays into the book's themes of real versus fairy tale and escaping some of the fairy tale trappings that come with their world. Mm-hmm. It is also a Newbery Honor book. Oh yeah. Can, can Seal is sounds there since you're messing with it. <laughs> She's Grace is just jamming the book against the mic now. That's good. That's good. You like that, right? That's, yeah. <laughs> All right. How can a fairy's blessing be such a curse? After her birth, Ella Frell was the unfortunate recipient of a foolish fairy's gift, the quote-unquote gift of obedience. Wop wop. It doesn't say wop wop. <laughs> it does say wop wop. <laughs> Ella must obey any order given to her, whether it's hopping on one foot for a day and a half or chopping off her own head. But strong-willed Ella, I'm trying to, <laughs> I'm 
trying to mimic the punctuation. <laughs> I thought she was just doing an interpretation, no, a I, unique interpretation. I'm trying to be true here to the sentiment of this <laughs> d- book description. Chopping off her own head. <laughs> but strong-willed Ella does not tamely accept her fate. Against a bold backdrop of princes, ogres, giants, wicked stepsisters, and fairy godmothers, Ella goes on a quest to break the curse once and for all. Thoughts? Dun dun. <laughs> I mean, this pretty. This is a book that's easy to describe. Mm-hmm. I would say yeah. it's pretty straightforward. Follows a standard quest narrative, mm-hmm. um, although there is a longer period of time spent back at home at the end of the quest, mm-hmm. which typically isn't part of a of a standard storybook quest. Um, but I do think. I think that the the description is trying to make it seem a little simpler than the book actually is. Yes. Obviously, that's how these things work. They have to distill have, down the messages, but... I have some thoughts now. But reading something like this makes it seem like it is a children's book. And you know what? I don't... Like, I hate reading the backs of books. Um, Aren't you mm, glad I introduced this new segment? No, it's it's good because it just, like any any kind of media any longer form media than a paragraph like it's just mean to attempt to distill it into like a it's heartless an editor's written blurb on the back that you know the creator of the work had nothing to do with and it just really like it, it it's like a flavorless just you know gray bite of nothing because (laughs) the book is so long and has so much space to like really you know to develop characters and and it features a really unique protagonist Mm -hmm. um especially for books like this i mean it's strange for her to be female and then it's also and by strange i just mean out of the ordinary Mm um for her to also be academically minded mm-hmm. and for her to spend the book focusing I guess focusing on herself in the most selfless way I mean she time and time again gives but up the things that she wants yeah to protect those around her and protect her kingdom no you know what it really reminds me of like one of the one, a trailer for a really good movie but the only things that happen in the trailer are like that, like blah, intense music that it's Inception's fault that's in every trailer now, and like just a voiceover, <laughs> like in a world, or you know, like just some really generic. Like that's what the backs. I don't like trailers I, either. This is just going to okay. be an episode of me complaining about. No, things. I I have to interrupt you for a second because I saw Rogue One when I was in. The Twin Cities over Christmas uh-huh. and talking about Star Wars now. Trailers that played before the film oh were some of the worst I've ever seen oh in my life. To the God. point where we actually felt like one was a joke. The it's baby's ca- one, Baby Boss. Did I? Ta- <laughs> I didn't tell you about no, this, did I? But I'm sure that I saw the same oh trailer. And I remember with Alec Baldwin. Alec Baldwin voices a terrible baby who's like also a, a man, like a weird baby, and I think who that ha- is in some kind of corporate mental structure <laughs> I, it's with other babies. With other babies, and but the whole part of the aren't. movie is that they're trying to overcome the cuteness of puppies like they're trying to make people stop looking at how cute puppies are and so they can look at how cute babies, babies are oh. okay we don't need to talk about <laughs> this too long but it was stunningly bad and the trailer for the new fest and the furious movie was oh my God. just 
I think I was just mentally puking through yeah. that whole thing, so I don't remember any of it. The because only thing my body was rejecting in taking that meeting. The only thing I like about the movie is the fact that it led to Dwayne the Rock Johnson um, just pretty much destroying Vin Diesel on the internet. It's really true. Um, okay, moving past that. Yes, this is a you know this is a mediocre trailer. The Ellen Enchanted yes. blurb. Oh, okay. This is what I was going to say, and then I just went off on a whole rant. But what I like best on the backs of books are where the author just like picks a page mm-hmm. or half a page yeah. and just puts that on the back of the book. An or, exciting few paragraphs. Yeah. Because mm-hmm. then it's like a snapshot. That's what at the beginning of each of the Alana books in our editions, they would have a few mm-hmm. paragraphs mm-hmm. from yeah. the coming book that would yeah. kind of just stir you up and get you ready for the excitement. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I like that too. Okay, so going into the actual book discussion, we've already touched on the fact that this is a fractured fairy tale. Mm-hmm. And I want to explore that a little bit because this is meant to be a retelling of Cinderella. Yes, and which I forgot and didn't realize right. again until about four-fifths of the ball, way which is book. almost at the very end yeah. of the book. That's, yeah, that's problem i it felt kind of shoehorned in by that point um and i understand i mean i get the appeal of taking a specific princess or very very well-known fairy tale and we're working it because i think that it's also a great way to get people to read your book i mean when i was a kid i loved takes on fairy mm-hmm. tales and we're going to yeah. be covering more of them um by like, different uh, authors dealing with dragons yeah, like dealing with dragons are like that that series of really dark princess books um, oh, about like Rapunzel yeah. and Sleeping Beauty. Yeah, yeah, we will be covering some of those. We've got them on our list for the coming year, mm-hmm. um, and Gail Carson Levine's books too that were each like little funny oh, takes the little ones. Yeah, on I love classic those. stories. I really love those. Um, which we I think mentioned before during the de- dealing with dragons episode. Yeah, um, so we'll, we'll put up a link to those with this post on our website. Um, but it's it did feel in this book like there was this incredible fully realized story but then maybe the author felt a little bit like oh but we need to I don't know put in some winks winks wink winks <laughs> winks winks <laughs> some winks winks and How do you winks, nudge, winks? <laughs> nudges nudges um, yeah just this little like poke in the ribs it's like oh she's a new Cinderella yeah but I mean I I I think I actually enjoyed it. I guess I didn't look at it that way. I I was more excited when I got to that point and then realized I was like, "Oh, she's a Cinderella." <laughs> because that doesn't sound like you were excited. <laughs> <laughs> oh. No, that was my like, "Whoa." Okay, mind blown. Yeah. <laughs> now she understands. Uh, because it's totally like a backstory of what happened to Cinderella because like the actual story is totally weird and disconnected you know maybe it made more sense when it was I don't know isn't that like an oral tradition story or was it originally written by I think Cinderella is written by Hans Christian Andersen okay Okay. um Anyways, quick googling, it's, googling it's, while you Well, talk. it's like a fairy tale that really needs fleshing out because it doesn't make a lot of sense. And it, like the story in this book, 
just has a lot more connective tissue in the chain of causality where everything goes. So yeah, there's a lot more Cinderella traditional stuff at the end, mm-hmm. but because you know everything that came beforehand, mm-hmm. including the fact that she, you know, is cursed with obedience, it just makes a lot more sense. Well, and that curse really does inform the Cinderella story and make it into something much more terrifying. I mean, if you are Mm -hmm. in Cinderella's position, but you literally cannot break away from your role and from your standing, I mean, Mm -hmm. you can't even lift a finger to change what others are commanding you to do. Yeah, It's really disturbing. And I mean, rereading it, I was really struck by how disturbed I was. Yeah, and just how really frightening her situation is yeah, it's just total really, lack of really autonomy scary and i think it scares me a lot more as an adult because mm-hmm. i have a lot more ideas about what that could lead to right. whereas what when i was a kid it was more just like they could steal her stuff yeah, and like make I her know. eat gross things or you know well although there is the hint of something darker in her father almost forcing her to marry oh yeah that's a true pretty mm-hmm. repulsive yeah. man who i'm sure i mean he seemed you know harmless but nothing is harmless to you when you're being made against your will yeah. to mm-hmm. enter into a marriage contract um but i thought that that was an interesting commentary on marriage for all women in this time mm-hmm. in this world because whether they're forced to obey or not through a curse they have no other have option to, yeah. in their lives. Yeah, there's a lot of weird stuff about marriage in this book. And I actually, I mean, I guess we'll, we can get to the the happy ending a little further on. Um, but I was surprised that the book ended with a wedding, essentially. I mean, the in the epilogue that talks about their yeah. future life together, where kind of every aspect of it is laid out and every point is put to rest um, and it talks about their children it, it was strange to suddenly go from Ella basically telling her own story to oh and here's a letter from my future self about the life that I led yeah I guess I didn't know you're right it is totally incredibly different from the rest of the story and I should clarify I mean neither of us are wedding people <laughs> Marriage people. <laughs> marriage people. <laughs> yes, I should say marriage people because yeah. I, I love weddings. I love my my loved ones' weddings, my friends' weddings. It's been We're just really, really wonderful to in it for yeah, watch my friends marry and be a part of their weddings. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's, yeah, just not something that's for me. Yeah. Um, so that's the so mindset that we come into yeah. this as. But I... I don't like endings and I do really like it a lot more when the ending is uh, not so vague and open and sudden so I kind of liked the ending being spelled out Mm -hmm. meticulously in that manner because then I wasn't left with this like yeah but what happens because you know I don't know I was just happy with that well and I should say there is a wedding in the book that I did love the giant's wedding yeah, is which was wonderful so sweet um we get that's why i say we're not we're not anti we're not not personally uh oh <laughs> never mind 
<laughs> Madeline uh, just got a look of total terror in her eyes and is rapidly backing away from whatever point she was about to make. Error, error. Um, I, yeah, I, it was just, I love being honest about the components of a marriage and going through the motions of building a life together with the giants, um, you know, farming and Yeah, their rituals as part of their wedding ceremony were really awesome. Well, I and really that. that feels a lot more authentic than, you know, these like ceremonial mm. moments that yeah. are in standard weddings. Yeah. Obviously, we don't have giant weddings, um, weddings of giants. <laughs> in our <laughs> world. <laughs> so, yeah, we have a lot of giant weddings. Okay, I need to backtrack a little because I said something totally wrong about the origin of Cinderella. Um, okay, so, it and it wasn't Hans Christian Andersen that made the very Is popular it version. Grimm? It was the Brothers Grimm, but there was a more popular version that really got all the elements together before that, which was published by a French author named Charles Perrault, um, in 1697. Okay, I was gonna say I think that it might be a sort of oral tradition type mm -hmm. thing because I've heard um, like a Chinese Cinderella story right. that's actually very similar to the one that I'm familiar with, but is from like a thousand years ago mm -hmm. or something like that. And I've I've heard just ones from all over the place. So I wonder if yeah, maybe the French guy is the one that sort of put the more disparate elements all together into one thing and said like this is the main story or something. Yeah it says right here that um, one of the earliest versions and by right here I mean Wikipedia. Wikipedia. One of the earliest versions appeared in a Chinese collection around 860. Nice. Yeah, I hesitate to even call the book because <laughs> yeah. that was probably just scroll. A, yeah, I don't know. I don't even know. Just a little lump of paper. No, it was probably a scroll, right? No. <laughs> um, yes, and that is about a woman who saves her mother's bones and they help her dress for a yeah. festival yeah and like they and her mother was killed by her stepmother and, and sister. then they like throw out the bones or something it's a really grisly yeah, story i do remember reading that um so this is a story that's been reinterpreted and retold mm -hmm. many times and i i think you're right i think i should be a little more forgiving with the way it's approached in this book um and i i should say i don't mean to be so harsh because i I really, really love this book, and rereading it was such a delight. Mm -hmm. um, last thing about fairy tales is that the book actually loves fairy tales. Yeah, and Ella's collection of fairy tales. She has her own fairy tales. Are a huge survival tool yeah. for her. Mm -hmm. I mean, I feel like they help her from totally losing her spirit and becoming a broken person once she's been enslaved by her stepmother and stepsisters. Mm -hmm. Okay, so should we go back to the beginning a little bit? We didn't actually give a summary. We just read the description That's yet again. I don't know what's wrong with us. But no, it's okay because that was a summary. I do want to say that something I was really impressed by upon rereading, we can just do our little, you know, mm -hmm. present day impressions versus what we remember from the book. Um, is just how amazing the world building was mm -hmm. throughout the story. Yeah. Um, I can't believe how many, that there are multiple languages. I was um, pretty impressed. And that the different races have, you know, their own very specific cultures and they're 
they're you know operate on a spectrum of like how they interact with one another it was like a rock paper scissors thing kind of Mm -hmm. in terms like who beats who yeah um and there's this yeah there's a hierarchy of different creatures um and like in dealing with dragons with the wizards for example some of them are just inherently evil and some are inherently good like the ogres who exist to just kind of fulfill their ids it seems mm-hmm. um and then someone like an elf who seems to exist to like create incredibly beautiful art mm-hmm. but also like only eats vegetable and fruit soup soup <laughs> yeah <laughs> and uh seems to kind of operate on a different plane where they're maybe ignoring their id completely or yeah. suppressing it mm-hmm. um there was also just talking about races in the book there were some surprising um, kind of combinations where you had human-animal hybrids that were treated like domesticated animals. Yes, which you don't often see in fantasy no. books. Usually, <laughs> that was surprising. Especially the more human, the more humanoid they are, right? The more human-like they are. Are you going to talk about the? The, the centaur, centaur yeah which apple. i just yeah every time he was brought up i was just like this is very strange <laughs> made me uncomfortable <laughs> yes um and like he's how just is a centaur i mean they char explains it when they're at the menagerie slash zoo mm-hmm. he said you know he j- but all he says is just look at it i look at his eyes he doesn't have intelligence like he has no idea what we're saying but for but some reason he has most of a man body i know <laughs> he, and he has a man's head and i mean it's not face. like it's a horse brain in a yeah. man's head so he just like gazes vacantly into nothing with his man face while like she talks to him and i was yeah. just like so he's like a lobotomy <laughs> patient it's not ideal yeah um and then dragons are unintelligent too because there are also dragons at, yeah, got to get in our dragon mention. Mm. There are dragons at the menagerie who right. you can take cheese up to on a stick and uh-huh. toast your cheese on their flames. Right. And Ella mentioned something about the dragons just looking, you know, totally enraged and caged, which Pissed. they are. Um, so that was slightly different from the other books that we've read, I'd say. Although I don't know, I don't know if we've actually encountered a centaur yet because centaurs are always kind of awkward. I'm pretty sure there are centaurs in the Immortals universe, and they might even have been noted in um, the Menagerie and Emperor Mage. Okay, I, yeah, and they're they're like they call them like killer centaurs or something. They're oh, kind of along the lines yes. of spiders. No, no, aren't they killer wings. unicorns? I think the centaurs are not nice either. Okay, cool. After a quick break to both put on the same chapstick, <laughs> we're back. And now you know, dear listeners. This is what sibling relationships can become. Yeah, yeah. So, uh, against your wishes. Take notes, people. <laughs> okay, so continuing on just our impressions of the book. I, I don't know. I had a lot of big realizations while I was reading this, just about how formative it was for me, um, like I already mentioned. But one definitely plays on my personal relationship with obedience and with trying to be obedient. Mm. Because when I was a kid, I really wanted to do things the right way and like make adults happy, probably because I didn't have a lot of 
peers who were my friends. So I, like I wanted my teachers to really like me mm-hmm. and for relatives to like praise me for being so good. And I don't mm-hmm. know if this is part of being an oldest child. I had some of that too, for sure. Yeah, no, I, I don't mean to imply that you were like a wild <laughs> devil. <laughs> no, it's a pretty orderly tween. <laughs> it's true. Um, but reading about Ella at boarding school, um, when she gave in to her obedience and decided to just become the best mm-hmm. possible student yeah. and mm-hmm. become perfect at everything. I think when I read that as a kid, I was like, oh, okay, that's good, Ella. Like, following <laughs> rules, you're not being so difficult. Like, just try this for a little while. But reading it as an adult, it was really horrifying yeah. and upsetting. Mm-hmm. Um, just her becoming, a, you know, a, a slave. And I mean, she's not just physically enslaved, she's mentally enslaved. Mm-hmm. Um, which I don't think there's much worse. Them. I don't know if there's a state that no, it's it's shockingly horrifying. I I haven't found much more horrifying states to be like for a somewhat lighthearted um, young adult book. Well, right, and especially with you know a summary on the back that says like right. she can be forced to chop off her own head! Exclamation point. It's I mean, it feels horrifying. It could feel really light, but. The book has such dark moments. Yeah. It's really messed up. I mean, and at different points, Ella has to give up her, you know, most prized possession and her best friend, her mother, her her best uh, friend, the the love of her life. mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, And then even her own thoughts when Lucinda commands her to be happy, to be obedient, Mm -hmm. and she can no longer even try to resist the commands that she's given. And she's happy about it. So she's been brainwashed. Yeah, it's not, um, it's not pretty. Uh, But I think that that made the happy moments in the book feel even brighter. And Mm -hmm. I uh, loved the... I, I loved the love story. That is the, one of the sillier things I've said, but um, I usually, it's usually hard for me to find a love story that I, I don't know, maybe that I can relate to, but also feels somewhat realistic, especially in so a you fantasy can only relate book. relate to love stories that don't <laughs> feel realistic. No, 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 no. I'm saying that, uh, that I can relate to. she wasn't to. into Dane and Numair. <laughs> <laughs> no, um, like that that feel realistic and that I can relate to is what is what I, I mean to say, as opposed to something really lofty and poetic where it's like obviously it's going to hit on some universal um, experiences some, like, that Romeo that, that we we all tend to stuff. have when we fall in love. You know, you have all these big emotions. <laughs> what is that face? <laughs> It's just funny. Both of us are in love with people at this moment. <laughs> to be talking about like, it was like love, 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 love. I know it's really hard to talk about <laughs> this concept yeah. without uh-huh. just sounding like a goofball. I know, that's which why is I was which laughing. I think why it's so hard to portray it. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. But I really, I was really into the letters that they sent one another. 
their written correspondence between Char and Ella as they're yeah, like really as they're developing romantic feelings for each other because yeah. they were they were friends right away but they spend so much time face to face I mean th- they only spend so much time face to face it's mostly in this book through written correspondence okay, that they get to know true. each other yeah. um, because that takes place over long periods of time whereas when they see one another it's for a day two and days did, here yeah. and there and I really liked in the correspondence how I it was very relatable how they were both just like do do they like me like I like them like maybe I'm just reading this in like oh but I'm sure that they mean it like going back and forth like that is very realistic the obsessive like teeter-tottering like how could they feel the way about me that I feel about them and then when the love story does turn tragic once Ella convinces him that she has married for money and Mm -hmm. that she is not in love with him mm-hmm. so that she won't become queen and then possibly you know assassinate and Char she's not afraid for herself she's afraid for him right exactly and for the whole kingdom mm-hmm. I mean because she could be made to do anything and it's shockingly easy for certain people and especially ogres to figure out that she is cursed yeah I mean Hattie is very simple-minded and she figures it out well it's because she's the kind of person that who demands things yeah yeah -hmm. yeah that's true but but she is able to you know and she can't really articulate it but she knows that she can have some kind of control Mm -hmm. over ella even olive figures it out eventually but she's like or um, olive (laughs) yeah (laughs) but ella talked like spends time thinking about how luckily they're both too simple-minded to come up with seriously bad things like they're mostly just spiteful like bad things but not things that would endanger her life no yeah I don't think they actually put her in danger at any point they're just it's just humiliating crappy to and her servile yeah. tasks mm-hmm. yeah. um, I mean the the cruelest command that Hattie gives is for her to end her friendship with Arita yeah um, but the thought of Ella writing countless letters to Char and like pouring out her feelings that she never sends because she can't ever tell him mm. that she loves him and she, you know, is like living out this pretend romance that she feels she can never have in her head mm-hmm. is so heartbreaking. And yeah. that part of the book affected me a lot more as an adult. Okay, the I'm going to say one more thing about their romance, romance <laughs> that I appreciated is that. You know, it probably just hits all the, all my nerdy favorite things like cute letter writing, yeah. them saving one another from various perils, mm-hmm. as opposed to Ella just being just her, saved yeah. by Char, mm-hmm. um, and her making him laugh, and mm-hmm. him citing that as like one of the reasons that he knew that he loved her, and him like being surprised by her. Yeah, it feels she's like a real relationship. Like funny and witty. Yeah, yeah, the relationship did feel very realistic. It wasn't lofty, as you say. So since we finished discussing the uh, book's primary romance, other than, you know, Sir Peter and uh, Mom Olga's romance, oh which is one for the ages. <laughs> one man forced to love a woman who seems to hate him as well. I think yeah. they honestly hate each other. They married each other for money, but then it turned out that Sir Peter didn't have any money and... Olga, like, she has her own money, but she's not sharing it. No, and she's not satisfied with what she has. Yeah. Yeah, it's clear from the start when Hattie and Oliver are talking about she's a how much each, each quail egg at the feast must have cost. Yeah. 
So I, I think going from that relationship, we should evaluate Ella's badass lady meter because I think often mm. being in a romantic relationship in a fantasy novel compromises some of a female character's strength. Mm -hmm. And this book does not do that in any way. It actually makes Ella way more impressive because of the way she handles her first love. Because I think of her, she actually reminds me of um, Alana in mm -hmm. some ways because she's so... Uh, strong in the face of intense adversity and she's also hiding a big secret like Alana who's hiding the fact that she's a lady mm -hmm. um, I just well, one of the things that really struck me when I was rereading this is I remembered as a child being like this is not fair like yeah. this this sucks it's not fair how can like this happen to a like I was a happy privileged little kid like I didn't really understand or know what you know going without or suffering in like any way was like when I was a kid um so to like see her be completely deprived of autonomy was really one of my first beginnings of understanding mm -hmm. like um I don't know just what it's like uh to not be in a position of power. Yeah, yeah. I was going to say to be a woman, but, you know, yeah, it helped me start understanding what it was going to be like to be a woman. Yeah. Um, you know, and I don't understand what it's like to um, be a minority person because, you know, I've always been white, but it, like, it, you know, just as a woman, it kind of really started me thinking about, like, along those lines. Mm -hmm. And Ella does that very well mm -hmm. she doesn't sink into despair over her lot in life she's always trying to actively change it mm -hmm. except for the period when she's told to be happy that she is cursed mm -hmm. um what you know what she has no control over anymore mm -hmm. at that time um and she you know ella i really appreciate just what uh how resistant she is and what a kind of revolutionary she is. I mean, mm -hmm. she's really stubborn. She tries again and again to... Even though her lot is bad. It's pretty bleak. it just yeah. gets worse. Yeah, so much worse throughout the book. Mm -hmm. um, that starts with her mom dying. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. And things just go down from there. Uh, but she... Ella's a consistent marker for what is good and right, and she always does the right thing mm -hmm. even though she is cursed and she tries to find ways around that when there is an issue of morality at hand mm -hmm. with something that someone's told her to do um, and she only ultimately breaks her curse by putting the safety of the kingdom and the man that she loves before anything else mm -hmm. yeah so badass lady meter it's at the tippity top of the the pyramid with everyone else yeah, where, where <laughs> everyone belongs they all hang out together don't like books about strong women find a different <laughs> podcast to listen to that's the message yeah. here um oh one more comment about the romance it was a teen romance they were both the same age which is very oh, different from yeah. the other books that we've read the man is always older yes i think well known for being yeah. I mean, well, in the ones we know that, that in the Tamara Pierce books. Yeah. Yeah, in the ones with a primary romance. Mm -hmm. um, I was trying to think in The Last Unicorn. 
uh, I don't think don't that's go relevant. There. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's true. The woman is much older than the man, if you're yeah, counting the unicorn and the prince's relationship. Okay, yeah. Never mind. All right. <laughs> Moving on. I want to cover my favorite segment episode to episode. I had a friend recently say, why do you do this segment? It seems kind of weird. <laughs> what? I Shout love out to segment. Sarah. <laughs> Whatever, Sarah. <laughs> I love Just kidding. pretend love food. You, I love real food. And I love books where those two things can intersect. So reading this and reflecting on the food within this wonderful tome. It's a lot of food going on. So much food. I think this book might have been what made me obsessed with fantastical food. Oh, really? Because I can pinpoint specific moments that as I reread, I was just like, oh my God. Oh my God. This is where it all started. (laughs) Because there are dishes in here that have stayed with me throughout my entire life. I think about the curative carrot soup with unicorn hairs pretty much every time I'm sick. Mm. And, you know, I don't have unicorn hairs, and that's what led to Ella's mother dying. So hopefully I'll be okay. I mean, I feel like I need to I get a hold really of it. I was really disappointed in Ella's mother. Oh, like, my God. Okay, why did yeah. she just eat the stupid hairs? That plot point is BS. She died because she was like, oh, this part's gross. So I'm not going to eat it. She died. It's very frustrating. But if you felt like you just had a cold and you had a bowl of soup that had hair in it right, and yeah. you felt like you could just but like when Mandy why told didn't Mandy her, explain it to like her you but need to do this or you will die but Mandy is all about small magics yeah, and she doesn't want to interfere with the proper course of the world so it kind of feels like Lady Eleanor was meant to die at that mm-hmm. time yeah. um, because then by the time Mandy can actually realize that that she's too too far gone Mm -hmm. it's yeah it's too late for her to have some hairs in her soup um i i always but i i always think about that soup i mean gail carson livian is obsessed with food too you can tell Mm -hmm. yeah you can definitely tell because food is in um, hello food lover food is in almost every scene and there's loving detail lavished on every meal and even on snacks and when and part of the cruel things that start happening to Ella when she leaves for school is that she doesn't Food eat related. for three days. I know that was difficult for me to read. Uh, it's I'm really fortunate. I've never had to experience hunger, except on you know a camping trip here or there where our oatmeal Somebody fell in the lake. Really screwed up yeah. those pancakes. <laughs> Um, like literally put dirt in them. Right. Yes. Uh, yeah. I hate camping so much. I love camping. <laughs> Madeline and I differ there. Just thinking about dirty pancakes. Um, what was the point I was going to make? Yeah, but but there are certain fictional works where you read them, and even if you just had a very filling meal, you feel the pangs in your stomach, mm-hmm. and you're just so desperate for the main character to get some food to eat she's just a kid and that's that's one of the cooler things that Hattie does to her she doesn't let her eat Mm -hmm. that's torture yeah and that that dish that they have at the first inn that they stay at the really rich oatmeal and the cinnamon raisin bread Mm, yeah um is another that always stood out to me and it's just so cruel the way Hattie 
takes it away from her. I actually have eaten oatmeal with cinnamon and fruit, I think, every morning since I read this book that I've been home. What kind of fruit do you put in bananas? I put in blueberries, frozen blueberries usually. Mm. And then they good. kind of soften. And a lot of cinnamon, sometimes a little brown sugar. It's really good. Sounds great. But that scene is just so evocative. It just makes me need to eat oatmeal. <laughs> I feel like Madeline didn't have a similar... <laughs> I don't think it affected you quite as strongly over the years, but that's also because this has been like baked into my brain at this yeah. point because I read this book over and over again okay. at probably one of my most formative mental that's stages right. when I was, you know, 11 years old and very I was susceptible. A, I was younger, yeah. Yeah, you were a little younger. Um, I mean, other starring food moments for me are the huge six-layer cake that Ella's forced to eat when she's a child um, that makes her realize the weight of her obedience curse. Oh, yeah, yeah. Um, Where she's crying and eating Mm -hmm. the cake. Yeah. Very painful. I mean, food as punishment as opposed to food as delight. Overindulgence. Um, I love Hattie and Olive's meal choices at Lady Eleanor's Wake. the way that Hattie goes after mountains of meat and then Olive creates a disgusting dessert for herself that wrote some down all dribbled over with butter rum sauce and apricot sauce and peppermint sauce Uh. (laughs) not uh. a palatable combination I would say disgusting Um, I mean there's lots of good event food like the cheese puff and the giant sweating that's the size of Ella's head and that gets smashed all over her face (laughs) I don't understand. I I just felt like uh, just made me angry when you you roast cheese in front of the dragons instead of marshmallows. (laughs) Okay, going back to a point we discussed a while ago that you didn't seem emotional about then, (laughs) but that you care about. I've just been stewing about it since you brought it up, Grace. It just makes me so mad. Okay, and I first thought that your distress was that the dragons were being used for entertainment and for food preparation. But no, you just think that the cheese should be marshmallows. This is my problem. That's my problem with it all. Okay. Like, the cheese would just, like, get gross and burnt. This this is where you and I really differ because I would always rather have toasted cheese than a toasted That's marshmallow. That's ridiculous. I just can't get behind your, your lifestyle. Your side is great. ridiculous to me. <laughs> Absolutely ridiculous to me. Except cheese is sustenance. A marshmallow is nonsense. Sugar is, you know, your body takes that sugar and it makes Your body it. takes that sugar and it, it makes, makes it, it energy stuff. <laughs> energy goes up in your brain space and it gives you that, thoughts. I mean, that's a Schoolhouse Rock song, right? <laughs> it's one of the lesser known <laughs> um, eagerly forgotten <laughs> Schoolhouse Rock I know science. I'm a science person. I'm in law school, so you can trust me. <laughs> okay, well, let us know whether you prefer cheese or marshmallows. Those are the only two options. If you care for neither, we do not wish to hear from you. Then you're gonna die because you're not giving your body what it needs. <laughs> The cheese and marshmallow food groups. Okay, and I have one more food note to close this out. Um, Madeline, you probably respond strongly to this because mushrooms are involved, and mushrooms make Madeline very in- ill, incredibly ill. But the Torlin Karu, the elven mushrooms that oh, yeah. are meant mm-hmm. to make Ella fall in love with. Uh, 
rich dude that her dad dug up um, and lead to old he's old as hell his eyes are watery he's like his skin is sagging like he's an old man yeah not that like we're not trying to be ageist just like if you put him next to a 13 year old it's frightening yeah ella's in her isn't she like by the end of the book 15 yeah she's she's really young young. so it's upsetting to imagine this 70 year old standing next to this Especially because she's, she's in a haze of yeah. fairy-induced madness mm-hmm. at the time. Yeah. So she's just very excited about everything that happens. And that scene is so repulsive. I mean, her dad calls her a charming flirt. It, it's so awful. Her dad is... If, if oh, Ella is Sir at the Peter. top and of the... <laughs> Um, badass lady meter. Sir Peter is at the bottom of the crappy dad meter. Well, and it's a little awkward because I'll we'll tell you guys now that our dad's name is oh, yeah. Peter. Sir Peter, in fact. <laughs> no, he's not a sir. He's not a knight. I'm not just yet. Kidding. I wish. <laughs> Come on, dad. <laughs> what have you been doing? Get knighted already. Um, yeah, Sir Peter is an absolute nightmare, and that's one of the quieter horrors of the book that Ella has to work so hard to keep him from finding out about her curse because, because she he knows would do that terrible things with it. He would use it in far worse ways than Hattie kind of a given. or Dame Olga or Olive. Yeah, yeah, that's that's pretty upsetting. I mean, this is one of those you know, it, it is an orphan story essentially um, because her yeah. father doesn't count as a parent and he's also physically and mentally absent for the majority of the book even after she tells him that she is being used and that she's been forced into servitude it's not as bad as alana's father in um I don't know though he's just absent Sir well, Peter is actively harmful right so that's what I was trying to come up with the words to say which is Ella would be much better off if her dad was just, just ignored her a- actually absent instead of like That'd mostly absent to just pop back up again and ruin her life yeah. for an extended and period of time would not know about her curse Gail Carson Levine is so talented at writing really rich and delectable details not just when talking about food but I think when she's building her worlds in general and I think that's one reason why I loved reading her books so much as a kid and why they're so much fun to reread Um, because even even just little snippets of different languages um, or something like the inclusion of letters that Olive has written in Ella's fairy tale book Mm -hmm. Um, they really help to flesh out the world. They really do, and I really, I I also like that that language is such an important um, theme throughout the book, and that it's one of Ella's main interests because that's very rare for any kind of you know fairy tale heroine or princess to, like I mentioned earlier, have an academic interest. Yeah, that's um, true. And be something that she works to cultivate, even when she is being forced to spend all her mental energy becoming perfect at finishing school tasks while mm-hmm. she's there. She's still finding time to work with Arita to learn Eorthian and um, just retaining that little personal part of herself. And in the epilogue, it also mentions that even though she's 
queen and she is a mother, mm-hmm. she is still traveling and still putting her language to use. Mm-hmm. Isn't she the doesn't she become the there's like a title for her. Um she refuses to be called queen. No, I refuse to become a princess, but adopted the titles of court linguist and cook's helper. Yeah, which is really cool. So we've talked about the presence of magic in other worlds um, that we've discussed. And this one is an interesting case because magic is present, but it's possessed by very few individuals. And the ones who do just seem to be fairies, the Mm -hmm. ones who have outright magic. There are races like ogres who have incredibly commanding speech um, that can force yeah, they have like superpowers. Them. Yeah, um, but only fairies have the outright ability to, you know, create something mm-hmm. out of nothing. Although that's technically not something they're supposed to do, which is how we lead into the Cinderella fairy godmother at the end when Lucinda creates the carriage out of a pumpkin mm-hmm. and the um, and uses mice for the horses and yeah, whatever else she did. <laughs> the mice, like the groomsmen. Um, well, what's the horses then? Pigs. Oh, pigs. Oh, I see. So I just made that up. I don't actually. All right. Um, yeah. Sorry. Happened. Apologies for this. I'm sorry. Uh, we read this book like a month ago. <laughs> we were interrupted. We meant to do it before the holidays. It's okay. No excuses. No excuses. Okay. But still, pigs. Um, which led to another charming detail, which was Ella saying that she was from um oh shoot what what was it started with a b um bast saying that she's from bast and that all the carriages are orange and bast oh, yeah uh-huh. um, when everyone's questioning her strange habits and mm-hmm. strange appearance at yeah. the ball where she's trying to keep herself hidden mm-hmm. um i but okay so fairies have magic but in general the society is um driven by mo- monetary interests um, so it, it is more similar to modern society in a lot of ways than I think other magical worlds that we've read about in these fantasy novels. Mm-hmm. I think this approach to magic actually shows a lot more caution than many of the other books. Um, like magic is just so much more frightening mm-hmm. and it, for the most part, only accomplishes harmful things throughout the book but that's mainly just because Ella's curse runs throughout there are these tiny touches of magic like well it feels like the elves like um Agulin has some magic abilities when creating his ceramics but it's um, much more suggested and like gentle mm-hmm. than actually like waving your wand and then something crazy happens you know oh exactly and when the when the one fairy who does that, who's, I think they say, fool enough to do it, Lucinda, does something like that, everyone is just really I don't upset know. by it. Yeah, yeah. They But they're constantly saying what an idiot she is. I mean, j- not just that she is um, frightening them, but that they just can't believe how careless she is. Like, it's how foolish like she it's is. It's like ripping a hole in the space-time continuum right, exactly. or something that is just like, oh my god, why are you doing that? Yeah, and just doing it again and again and mm-hmm. not having any thought for the consequences. Yeah, I, I do think, you know, to Lucinda's credit, it's pretty incredible that she spends time as a squirrel <laughs> and then as an obedient child. Mm-hmm. Uh, I 
I mean, Ella's the one who tricks her into it, ultimately. No, no it's Mandy. Mandy. It's yeah. Mandy, I'm sorry. Mm -hmm. um, because Mandy's trying to find a way to help at that point when mm. things have gotten yeah pretty grim. Um, but it is Ella all on her own who actually breaks the curse. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's true. Without magic, just with the power she of love. She figures it out. Yeah. So on my behalf, at least, there are a lot of personal moments and memories related to this book, and I don't want to be totally self-centered in listing them all. Um, but when I was young, my friend Megan and I both loved this book, and my copy of the book has Grace Harnway written on the inside yeah. in pencil and my little childish hand. Really and cute. when I saw Megan last spring, she actually said to me, I have your copy of Ella Enchanted somehow. Oh, <laughs> gave it to me um and this is i mean i think like part of what sparked the idea for this podcast mm. overall because i hadn't cool. seen one of my old fantasy in books in so long um but megan and i saw the film adaptation that was made of this movie together oh you saw it in theaters I yeah we did see it in theaters because <laughs> sorry megan to give away so much about this but megan loved Hugh Dancy at the time and he starred as Char, and he wasn't in a lot of movies yet. Um, Ella Enchanted came out. Oh, if you Google Ella Enchanted, it's the movie that comes out first, which is a little disappointing. It came out in 2004, so okay. we were in high school, but we did go see it. <laughs> it wasn't abnormal for us. Um, I do want to just mention the movie because it exists, and maybe some of you have found this podcast episode because of the movie, um, although I kind of doubt it, because the movie is so different tonally, narratively, um, aesthetically, just really in every possible way from the book, and I do not know how it was made. Madeline hasn't seen it. Um, no, I, mean, I watched a very short clip of it and was it, it's like they tried to make it into a musical but they got scared of going all the way so it's an awkward brightly colored slapsticky mess um, and it tries to be much more of a fairy tale yeah. than the book with the book is fighting against these concepts of you know being a perfect fairy tale character and the movie just goes all in um, a young and charming Anne Hathaway is in it, so well she's fantastic, but she her acting is terrible in the movie. I don't understand how it's that bad. It's yeah, because she's a really she's a fantastic <laughs> actress. It's, everything is bad. I think the script was just so terrible. But that she couldn't do anything with it. No, and um, Minnie Driver plays Mandy, and that performance is really strange and really different from what I expected, especially because Mandy is supposed to be an older woman, mm -hmm. um, and Minnie Driver is young and pretty, and they play her more as like a, I don't know, more of a romantic character, and every everyone is just so silly mm -hmm. um, and out of control. Olive is like a caricature. I mean, they're all pretty much caricatures, but Olive is really, really bad. Um, I, so I would urge you to not ever see the movie. <laughs> um, I forgot a few years ago just how bad it had been, and I was really sick, and I was like, oh, maybe oh, it would God, be nice to watch All Enchanted. I watched like 20 minutes okay. of it. And I was like, oh, no, this is god-awful. Okay. So I don't know if you have a defense of the movie or if you do enjoy it, let us know. I'm really curious to hear from you it has 50 percent on rotten tomatoes which honestly is not that bad i'm kind of surprised it's that high 
But it, it's very much pitched as a kids movie. I guess that it is. So as long as it was inoffensive and popcorny enough, then critics would just be like, "Yeah, it's fine. Go see it with your kids." I don't know. It They're won't make you, you know, want to die on like some things that your kids are going to make you see, like the Angry Birds movie. I feel like it was more of a rom com for adults though than a kids movie. You haven't seen it, so you don't no, know so what it's actually like. Yeah, this is all just. Imagined versions of the film. Um, I mean, Eric Idle is in it. Like, there's some talent there. It's uh, it, it's just really strange. Oh yeah, Carrie Yules is in it. I, I don't know how to say his last oh. name. As an invented character who is not in the book. Oh my god. <laughs> he's the really is greedy. He's really funny. And King Regent who wants the crown for himself. Oh, I love. Yeah, I, I will say that he's he was really one of my funny first in it. crushes ever. Oh my god, Princess Bride. <laughs> yeah. Oh, we should cover Princess Bride the book. Oh, we should. Oh, I totally forgot we about it. We're making a list. All right. Well, we've hinted at a lot of future episodes <gasps> today, what so we do next? you don't know what's coming. Um, oh, and Heidi Klum is in it too. It's really, really. Another invented character. Brunhilde. She's a giant. A giantess who met Slannon in Giantsville and has feelings for Slannon despite his size. I mean, this story does not really follow the book much at all. Mm. It's a disaster. It, uh, it is a fiasco. Fiasco. <sighs> okay. So, yeah, just closing out with a little... Um, Anger. Yeah, just a little frustration. If this had been made into a good film, I think that I would love that movie. But, you know, it's it's the Hobbit effect. Sometimes a book you love gets turned into I don't talk about that. a piece of work that makes you never want to watch a movie again. And we're just staring off into the distance now, so Sadly. it's probably a good time for us to go. Um, do you have any closing thoughts on Ella Enchanted? We didn't talk about whether we think it's a young adult book or a children's book at length, but I think that the I think, it could, I think there are mature enough book. themes here, and the fact that rereading it as adults and was gaining so more from it than yeah. we did reading it when we were young mm -hmm. is super telling. Yeah. Um, I think there's a lot there, yeah. And like I said, you know, if you haven't read the book, you probably didn't make it this far since we didn't really summarize it. <laughs> You're probably just baffled. If you did, I highly encourage you to yeah, read the book. Really read it, it takes just a few hours, and it's really unlike other, you know, fantasy fairy tale adaptations for young kids. Um, I think. I think it's really good. I know that this is the point we end with pretty much every episode. Like, read this we book. We recommend this <laughs> to you. Strong lady. Good book. <laughs> Great food. Go read. Um, but yeah, points. I guess. Truncated bullet points. I just can't help being me. So I'm Grace. And I'm Madeline. And we're Dragon Babies. Goodbye. Until next time. If you'd like to learn more about Dragon Babies, you can find us online at dragonbabiespodcast.com. We're also on Twitter at dragonbabiespod. That's P-O-D, the first syllable of podcast. Songs used in this episode are Pippin the Hunchback and Batched Villagers, both by Kevin McLeod and licensed under the Creative Commons by Attribution 3.0 license. You can find his music at incompetech.com. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.